Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. Dr. Mark McDonald, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and he has written this new book, and we have watched it in real time, but he has documented it with his expertise to basically unpack what has happened. The United States of Fear, how America fell victim to a mass delusional psychosis. Please welcome our friend, Dr. Mark McDonald. Our first question up here, how long will it take through the mentorship and this, this new rhetoric about misinformation when it's truth is slowing the process to get healthy. Something that I have come to believe is very important in, in shortening the time course is taking risks. And what I mean in this specific context is speaking the truth even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it causes you a temporary short-term loss. So when you are called out, when you are told this is misinformation, which as I said before, is not misinformation. Misinformation today just means offering an opinion contrary to that of the government. That's all it means. You need to make that clear. Rather than apologizing, wishy-washy answers, stepping away, speak back honestly but firmly and assertively and say, really, misinformation. This is my view, and my view is based on evidence, and I'm not going to change it because of your intimidation tactics. And I'm willing, I'm willing, as James Lindsay did in New York last week when he was told, show your vaccine card to go into the restaurant. He said, very simply, I don't participate in that. He ate dinner in his hotel every night, but he said, I ate dinner alone, but I ate dinner with integrity and self-respect. Amen, amen. What a blessing to, is it? It's just so refreshing when someone speaks the truth. Dr. McDonald, will you please talk about the importance of men standing up and acting like men versus what you call eunuchs? This is a great question. Whoever did it, I give you bonus points. The war on men, which is a war on women as well, because when men lose, women lose, has been with us for several decades. And as I said before, it started with the feminist movement, but it's continuing way beyond and way outside of that. It is important for several reasons. In addition to the basic facts that men and women are different and that men need women and women need men, the male-female bond, which is what produces husbands and wives and ultimately families, which then build communities, If we lose that, if we come to accept the lie that men are not needed or that women don't need men or that men should be attacked, that men are the only sex that needs to overcome their weaknesses, which is aggression and hypersexuality, that women are born as sugar and spice and everything nice, and that they have no issues or problems except those foisted on them by those awful toxic men, that hyper-emotionality, that hysteria, 
which is what led to the Karens, is not a problem. That parents don't need to control and constrain and contain their daughters in the same way they need to do their sons. If we accept that lie, we're doing an enormous disservice to girls and women and boys and men. Enormous. And they will no longer come together. They will be like the two patients that came in last week, one of whom was a 21-year-old, 27-year-old girl, the other 27-year-old man. The woman came in and she said, I don't know where all the men are. No one asked me out. She's an attractive woman, bright. There's nothing wrong with her. I can't find anyone to date. I feel bored. I feel unattractive. I don't know what to do. The man comes in and he says, I'm alone. I'm bored. I'm sitting at home playing video games all day long. I'm afraid to go after a woman and say, I think she's attractive. I want to ask her out. I want to go on a date because I'm afraid that it will be viewed as aggressive, as misogynist, as patriarchal, as toxic. You fill in the blank. Those people are living lives of loneliness, seclusion, isolation, despondency, depression, hopelessness, loss of self-esteem, all because they've been brainwashed into believe that there is something wrong with being a man and something wrong with being a woman. This has to stop. After all this pandemic is over, this problem still needs to be addressed because if we don't address it, we will survive and win the battle, which is this whole pandemic, but we will lose the war. And the war is to maintain our core fundamental truths about biology, culture, society, and that starts with men and women. We talked about delusion, just uh, maybe a PS to that question, with gender confusion. And uh, just, I, maybe you guys saw this article this week that Apple next week is going to, or next year is going to add to their phone a pregnant man emoji. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, so maybe you could clear this up for me. But uh, I, it's my understanding men cannot carry a child, doctor. Is this true? I, I, it may be misinformation. Well, they can if they start menstruating. <laughs> and if you say that men don't menstruate, you're definitely, definitely giving out misinformation. And I mean that in the, in the true sense of misinformation. It's a dissident opinion against the state. The boy who thinks he's a girl, I don't even know if he thinks he is, he says he is, I don't even know if he believes it himself, and keeps winning all of the Penn State swimming championships. Lily, I think he calls him same, or Lilia. He disrobes in front of the girls in the locker rooms, exposes himself to them, and even invites them and requests sex from them. So here is a boy, a man, man boy, who is so narcissistic, so self-possessed, that he calls himself a girl, but still acts like a man in a way. And no one, no one can criticize him. Even the women can't criticize him because he is transgendered. So the lie about the transgender craze, Abigail Schreier wrote a wonderful book, Irreversible Damage. It is amazing. She is a liberal, former uh, writer, journalist, who wrote a wonderful book. It's not hugely biased in any political direction. It's very sympathetic, but very clear about the epidemic of the transgender craze that is attacking and destroying our youth, the girls and the boys. 
the transgenderism movement is the most, I believe, the most extreme, violent, vitriolic movement in the United States today. And they call themselves marginalized. But the marginalized are driving the rules for competitive sports. They're driving firings at universities and, and, um, and companies. They're driving the, um, the, 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 the retraining, the re-education in corporate environments. They have tremendous power. And the only reason why they have so much power is we don't have en enough Americans calling it out for what it is, which is a lie, and saying, this is not reality. Let's change gears. Can you speak more on how this affects children? Loss of IQ, depression, suicide, social anxiety, long-term effects. And doctor, looking around, I know for me, uh, when I look at the adult world living in delusion, it, it frustrates me and I tend towards anger. When I see the children in mass and what they're doing to the kids, it moves me to tears. The first time I spoke publicly was in May of 2020 at the Orange County School Board of Education meeting. I was invited there by Jeff Barkey and Mary Barkey. Uh, Jeff and I have spoken here uh, at the church. And I stood up at the end of the talk. This was about reopening schools. That was the subject. And I said, we are all here discussing and arguing about reopening schools because we're afraid. We, the adults, are afraid. And we are transferring our anxiety and fear onto our children, which is abuse. It is irresponsible, it is immoral, it is abuse. And it has to stop. That was two years ago, and we're still doing it. We're still doing it. We are still using our children as a sort of sinkhole for all of our fears or anxieties. We are using our children as a vehicle to protect older people this has never happened before, never. Children are supposed to protect the elderly, what? It's completely upside down. Anxiety and depression have increased in youth by 300 and 400% respectively, according to the federal government CDC reports out from two years ago, almost two years, year and a half. Suicides have increased in youth. Drug overdoses have increased in youth. Children now are being forced to wear double masks or N95 masks to go to school here in Los Angeles because of the teachers' unions. The problem with continuing to use our children as a, as a receptacle for anxieties is what was found in the Brown Department of Pediatrics, Brown University Department of Pediatrics, two studies that came out earlier this fall. One that showed an IQ point drop of 20 in infants born after January 1 of 2020, meaning pandemic babies. And a second follow-up study with over 1,000 children up to age five showing that an overall cognitive decline had occurred in the last year of 24%. Decline. We are literally making our kids stupid by keeping them at home, by depriving them of access to social life and extracurriculars and sports, and by putting masks over their faces which has resulted in a 24% increase in referrals for speech and language therapy in the last 12 months. These are real stats, real numbers. Our children are being hurt. This is inexcusable. 
This is something that the children today that grow up are not going to be able to forgive the adults for, and they shouldn't forgive them for. They should hold them accountable. How do masks affect children's cognitive development? You just touched on that. And can you touch just a little bit on how much they learn, doctor, because of your expertise in seeing just facial, uh, you know, the mouth, the smile, the... Um, they learn so much through that. Every single age of development in children is a, is a opportunity for the brain to suck something in like a sponge. And when that window closes, you never have that opportunity again. And at every age it's different. And the face is so important. It's critical. The way that, that mothers stare at their babies and show them through their eyes, through their mouths, through this like expanded, exaggerated, uh, way of speaking that women and mothers do for babies. It's, it's intrinsic, but it's also very um, biologically necessary. That's how children learn what feelings and words and sounds and facial expressions all go together. And then, of course, as you get older, you start to pick up more subtle social cues. Uh, when to stay, when to go, if somebody's angry or sad. Um, there's so much in the face. Paul Ekman, uh, who I met, I think he's dead now, but he used to be a UCSF professor. He wrote books about this uh, in the 70s and 80s. He had studied facial expressions in like Papua New Guineans, studied all the muscles of the face, 250 different muscles, seven or eight core facial expressions, all the permutations and combinations. Sounds like he has OCD. <laughs> but, but what he found uh, was that, that these facial expressions that come across uh, mostly from the nose down, there's a few around the eyes, are so important for learning and development and being able to communicate far more than the words that we say. It's what, what, it, what the words sound like and the expressions on our faces. That if you cut those off, especially for young kids who have nothing else to go on except the face really, uh, you are producing a generation of autism. Basically, our children are becoming autistic. And this was happening even before with the, with the phones, living a life in a fantasy land. It's even worse now. It's 10 times worse than it was two years ago. I don't know how children are going to navigate the world outside of the screen in the next five to 10 years because they are not learning anything about how to be with people because they don't even see faces. And the babies that were born in the last few years that have only seen masks for the last two plus years, I don't know if, if they're ever going to be able to develop their brains in the way that older kids uh, were able to in our generation. I'm very concerned about this. These masks are not just a mask. They're very abusive and they're actually causing brain damage. The next question follows up on that. Is there a way to repair that damage in those crucial years? I mean, the learning that takes place, is there? I don't know. I mean, all I can say is stop. We have to stop this. And you, the parent, the buck stops with you. The buck stops with the parents. And parents who tell me, oh, I just don't know. I mean, you know, I, it's, I'm so busy. And he only wears it for a few hours. This hemming and hawing. If you give that up, if you give up the, the, the authority over your child for a mask, for an injection, if you're giving your child over to the state, you have no one to blame but yourself. I know it sounds harsh, but I, I think this is important. This is a great question. How can we support you? That's the question. 
buy his book. It's out here. <laughs> buy my book. It's out there. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can also follow me on Substack. Uh, I'm writing every Thursday. I publish a, a 600 to 1,000 word uh, comment and commentary on such as things such as sadism, on dependency, on masks and children. Uh, I am, as I said, writing a second book. I also have a podcast called Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, where we do interviews of politicians, of activists, of community leaders, of first responders to get their story and to uh, express and articulate uh, important ideas of the day, of the week. There are a lot of um, ways that you can support my ideas without necessarily supporting me personally, which is doing what I just described before I finished my talk today, which is you can be a mentor to others to lose their fear and their fear addiction. I think this is really important. You can stand up and take risks because if you don't stand up to the small inconvenience, to the small pain, to the small suffering, it's not going to matter in the end anyway. Everything's going to be taken. And this is why I started speaking out two years ago. It, didn't, it, it cost me money, it cost me time, it cost me sleep, but I knew that if I didn't do that and I went along with it, even though I knew it was a lie, eventually everything would be taken from me anyway. So at least I could, I could sleep at night with integrity and a sense of, of peace knowing that I, what I was doing was um, honoring my, my values and my beliefs. And that's what you can do more than anything. If this COVID narrative is waning, do you suspect the government is going to use another medical emergency to justify further stripping of civil liberties? Of course they are. That's a rhetorical question. There's going to be another variant. You know, we had the, the alpha, the data, the gamma, the omega, the omicron. We're going to have the Pokemon pretty soon. It's never going to end. It's never going to end. It's like feeding the crocodile. You give them the tip of your pinky, eventually it comes for your head. This is so obvious to me. I don't know. I get, sometimes I get frustrated because it's not obvious to everybody, and I don't know why it isn't. It should be. If it's not a medical crisis, it's going to be an ecologic crisis. It's going to be a sex crisis. It's going to be a race crisis. It's, there's going to be some crisis. There could be a war as well. I mean, the war is, is now brewing uh, because we have to defend the Ukrainian border. We can forget about the U.S. border. The Ukrainian border is very important to us. There's going to be another crisis. This is why I think the bigger picture is so important. In three months, six months, all the medical arguments are going to be over. That's why I want to implant in everybody's minds as much as possible that the bigger picture is so important to see, that this is a war for dependency versus independence. This is the war that we're fighting. The battles will keep coming. We'll always have nefarious individuals. We'll always have sociopaths. We'll always have people that want to take advantage. We'll always have Anthony Fauci's and Gavin Newsom's and, and Joe Brandon's. Although I'm not sure if he's even thinking about his conspiracy. I think he's just looking for pudding and ice cream. But there's always going to be evil or demented people. So that's not going to end. We have to know when they're there. We have to push back against them. It's like painting your house. It's like spraying for termites. It's not like you can just go to sleep for 20 years and you're going to be safe. You have to be vigilant. But if you can be vigilant, just like cancer screenings, you can stop it before it invades, before it metastasizes. But we have to keep putting in this effort constantly 
our liberty, our freedoms are only a generation away from being stolen from us. And this happens, this has happened since the founding of the country. So it's not like this is just once and done. Oh, we've run it through the pandemic, it's all over. No, this is going to happen again and again until we stand up and put a stop to it. Amen. This may be a stretch, but you are a medical professional. So give us an analysis. Is he just narcissistic? Is he a social uh, sociopath? Um, this conundrum called Anthony Fauci. I've learned so much in the last two years about Anthony Fauci, partly from speaking with RFK Jr. and uh, reading what he's written. He's, he's really a, one of the best authorities actually on this, and he wrote the real Anthony Fauci book, which despite no media attention and complete attack is still, I think, number six or seven on Amazon. It sold over 200,000 copies. It's a big book, but it's definitely got a lot of good info in it. I didn't know everything there is to know about him until this past year, and the more I learn about him, the more I am convinced that the man is not just a narcissist. He's not just posing on the covers of the fashion magazines like he did last year in his little tight pants and his sockless shoes. The man is uh, truly a sociopathic individual. He has knowingly murdered hundreds of thousands of people. And I don't say that just because of what he did last year. He did it during the HIV AIDS crisis as well. This is really not an opinion anymore. It's really, in my view, it's irrefutable. The, the, the evidence for it is so overwhelming. And his defense and explanation is so weak. And he's done the exact same thing with treatment, early treatment, for these coronavirus viruses and their variants. And as I said at the beginning of my talk, the main reason why we have lost lives in this country due to this virus, the main reason is that we have not allowed physicians and hospitals to treat patients. We have blocked treatment. That is the reason. It has nothing to do with shots and masks and nothing, nothing, literally nothing about zero. It is purely because we have not treated the illness. Basic, basic, basic medicine has been completely demolished. And he has been in the vanguard of this plan as an unelected, highly, highly paid and compensated bureaucrat who's worth over $10 million, who made over $800,000 just this past year in investment income, in addition to his $450,000 salary plus benefits, in addition to what his wife makes. The man is filthy rich, he's full of himself, and he has actively sought to murder Americans, actively, to further his own ambitions and something else that is probably beyond even rational explanation and I'll say this, I believe that there is actually an evil, a sinister evil force upon us that has arisen in the last couple of years and has become known. I don't think this is just error, just, just money, just narcissism. I think there is something really nefarious, uh, a, a, a sort of devilish spirit of evil. There, I have no other, I, I am not a highly religious person, and yet I believe that something evil is with us. I cannot explain it any other way that an entire world, an entire planet, could have intentionally caused the death, suffering, and destruction of people and lives to this degree in such a short amount of time through pure chance or pure selfishness. There's something more to it. I believe that. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Last question. What do we do to push back locally against tyranny? 
The last time I was here when I spoke, I said this at the end of my talk. I said, the first thing that you need to do as an individual is to find like-minded people. And I'm, again, very honestly acknowledging Dennis Prager for this because he's the first person to say it in those words. You cannot do a lot by yourself when you are facing such a omnipotent enemy, an enemy that has so much power and so many soldiers. It's, 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 I would say it's actually foolish to try to do something on your own. I, I don't support martyrdom. There's no purpose in martyrdom. But if you can find like-minded people, then you can organize. When I was here last, when, when, when I spoke, a man raised his hand from the audience. He said, I'm a firefighter, and I don't want to get a shot. I don't know what to do. And Simone Gold was, was with me, and Jeff Barkey was with me. And Simone stood up, she grabbed the mic, <laughs> as she usually does, and she shook her fist, and she said, start a group. Start a telegram group. That telegram group grew within 72 hours. 72 hours to over 700 people. And then that became a group to organize against mandates for all first responders. And it eventually led to a rally, which I think four, six, eight thousand people attended. The Cuff Group and AFLDS, Simone Gold, and others came to downtown LA, and they had police helicopters circling overhead in, in, in support. There were firemen, police, wives, spouses, kids, all coming out for first responders against, and first responders and families, against mandates. That was from one man in the audience here who raised his hand and said, I don't know what to do. I'm all alone in this. That's amazing. I was so impressed by that. So impressed. So don't think that because you're one person you can't do anything. You can when you get other support of other people. And you don't even have to be public about it, marching with signs. You can do it. He did it with a telegram group. Telegram group. So there's a lot that you can do, but you have to first find like-minded people. You have to organize. You have to get a group of people who complement one another in skills. Maybe some people have money, some people have time, some people have uh, technical skills, computer skills. You can actually get a nice group of people, as long as they're all organized, sharing the same beliefs and values and the same purpose and cause, you can get a lot done, and there has been a lot done in this city by people who've done that. It, it, it was very inspiring for me to hear that story. And on a practical note, for us, God Speak has been standing, but we need that practical uh, community organization model that's outside the church. People are fired up. You guys are amazing. And so we're starting a new organization called Free Ventura, which our first meeting will be. <clears throat> okay. Just locally, because we have community, exactly what Dr. McDonald's saying. We have community here. And we have an army of people that love freedom. And our phrase is very simple, keeping Ventura County free through common sense leadership. Because all of this stuff that is called disinformation, <laughs> it sadly is just common sense when you look at simple data. It's, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out things are falling apart. So we're, our, our goal is to activate and all the elected officials we've realized that the local government level is very powerful during this time to keep things safe 
And so that's what we're going to be doing. So you're all invited to that first meeting, February 8th, 630, right here. We have candidates that were, are running for office, common sense people. Uh, one of them a uh, running for district attorney that has this, uh, it's really an anomaly, but he actually thinks you should prosecute crime and protect victims, <laughs> right? And uh, because now there's a uh, pro-criminal anti-victim, the, the victims are suffering and the criminals are being coddled. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, that's all of our questions. I wonder if you enjoyed your time with Dr. McDonald. Right. Appreciate you. We would like to close this time in praying for his work and what he's doing, don't you think? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Dr. McDonald and speaking truth and coming and sharing with us truth. Lord, we pray that we all, as we have community with one another, that we can move towards you in faith and freedom for our neighbors and our fellow citizens. Lord, help us bring the change through what you do in and through us. And so we pray for your protection and your blessing and your strength upon his life that you would use him powerfully in this time, these dark times, to turn the light on and to share the truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa.